welcome to the Flute View Radio. This is Viviana Guzman for theflutview.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Viviana Guzman here for the Flute View magazine. Our very special guest today is Emily Bynon. She's the principal flutist of the Concertabau Orchestra. This is a real pleasure to have her today. She was our cover girl for November uh, for the Flute View. And uh, here she is. <laughs> hello, hello. Hello. How are you How doing? Are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's looking nice and sunny there. How are you? Uh, sunny California. It's always nice and sunny over here. So yes, yes. So well, it was sunny today at eleven o'clock in the morning here, but now it's dark. <laughs> oh, Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. You are just such it's an a icon, pleasure, an icon in Ooh, the no. world, and Ooh. I just. <laughs> And I wanted to just ask, you have so many interesting projects coming up. I wanted to talk to you about them because you're playing as a solo. Tell me what the status is, because I know COVID is interfering with everything. So tell us what's going on. Oh, I know. Isn't it awful, isn't it? Um, well, with the orchestra, let's start with the orchestra. And we, at the start of COVID, we stopped playing for two and a half months. Um, and then we started again initially to an empty hall and then after the summer break uh, or well not empty sorry I shouldn't say that 30 people in the hall but it felt really empty <laughs> and then after the summer break we were at 350 um, you know and you're talking a 2,000 seater hall so 350 people you know looks like a really poor turnout um, and then it got reduced to 250 and then I, down to a hundred, and then and then we went into our second lockdown, and uh, and we we didn't have any concerts. But at that time, I was I happened to be in Germany playing Mozart concerto and the Jonathan Dove concerto. Yes, and, that's what I wanted to hear about. Um, yeah, right. Yes, that was that was October in Constance, um, and that was kind of a challenge because I don't know. Um, whether that's happening all over the place, but it's quite—it's proving quite normal here to do two shorter concerts in an evening instead of one long concert. So you can get two lots of audience in, right? And I—but I was meant to be doing in each concert. I was doing Dove Concerto, the Magic Flute Dances, and the Mozart D Major Concerto. And about a month before, they contacted me and said, um, "So." it's like this, we're doing two concerts a night and would you be prepared to do both concerts in an evening? I said, what, you want Mozart twice and Dove twice in one evening? I don't know if I can do that. I just don't know. <laughs> but um, we, did, we did that uh, three days, not quite consecutive days. There was a day off in between, but that was um, quite a challenge, but uh, live to tell the tale and um, that was a lot of fun actually. Constance is beautiful if you've ever um, if you've ever been that way it's uh, really worth a stop off Lake, uh, Lake Constance ah. um, absolutely beautiful yeah 
No, what am I talking about? It's called, it's called the um, Bodensee. Bodensee. Um, really gorgeous on the border of Switzerland and Germany. Uh -huh. And then on the, the day of the last concert there, they announced the German lockdown for a month. But the next day I was back to Amsterdam where we were just starting again after the second lockdown. And since then we've been playing to um, largely empty halls or just a few people in the hall. But everything is being live streamed. <laughs> so um, yeah, big change, changes in our, our world orchestrally. Yeah. Yes, but, but it's uh, nice that at least you're performing some, right? Because absolutely, absolutely. In the, US, in the US, I feel that most orchestras are doing nothing or very, very little, you know, only online. Yeah. And... So yeah. anyway, no, cute. no, we're super lucky that we're playing. Um, and I, I missed it so much that, you know, that we the, the two and a half months that we weren't playing. I, I, um, yeah, I, I didn't realize actually my biggest lesson that I've learned is I didn't realize quite what an, a valuable component the audience is, you know, in our concerts. It sounds really stupid, but in the sense of, of course I play for the audience, but in terms of what they, the vibe that you get, you know, they're not talking, they're not participating in the terms of, in terms of sound or anything. But the vibe of people all experiencing that music in the same time all together, um, that is something I'm never going to take for granted again. That's right. that um, magic ingredient in a concert. It yeah. is. We feed yeah. off of our audiences. So much, yeah. Yeah. And even though, as you said, it's not as no one's speaking, but you can feel the energy and the applause, the amount of applause, the length of the applause, the the dynamics of the, the pause, you know. But even even um, before they start clapping and actually making noise, you can feel how much they're listening. Absolutely. Which, um, of course, we all know that. We all know that. And we all know that it's, you know, the most important component of a concert in many ways. But it's it's been really brought home to me in the, in the, that, uh, the first lockdown, you know, when we didn't have any concerts and then we started back to you know just a couple of dozen people in the hall right very weird right very well, weird my whole schedule just stopped i i, I had been to 10 countries because i'm always around and march traveling, traveling. I, I have nothing I, all i'm doing is teaching at the university and that's it so <laughs> yeah I mean, it's it's really affected our industry. I, I almost feel like more than anybody, we've been hit so hard, just economically. Yeah. And our, I mean, what do you have to say about that? Uh, what are your thoughts? It's it's devastating. It's strange to understand that having airplanes full, or um, you know, the the IKEA being full, or um, you know, other big retailers where you, you're so aware of there being so many people. I mean, you're a huge traveler. Um, um, and have you done any flights and uh, in, in the COVID time? Not since, since March. March. We've okay. Just, we've been landed. We're not. Well, I've done, yeah, I've, I've done, um, 
two two return trips um and it is just so strange to be in a full airplane and of course everyone's got their masks on all right but why can't we be that full why can't we have the concert halls that full yes i'm sure that people wouldn't mind having a face mask on yeah um that's my point. you know I it's um so i don't i don't really understand why. i don't either you know i go to the gym every other day and um you know and i'm i'm well sweating and and you know breathing heavily and moving around i would have thought that would be a much more risky environment than a concert hall where people yeah. are sitting in one place for the duration um and i'm sure that they wouldn't mind you know wearing a face mask for the duration and so i don't i just don't understand yes it and makes no sense do we need to be more vocal at our protesting or why is it that we're being punished you know yeah, punished <laughs> exactly yeah i don't really understand i that, that's like, i, I really posted this that. picture of a air flight full of people everyone masks on full of people in this tiny yeah. airplane oh like this middle seat everything why can't we be in a concert hall you know and i it makes zero sense to me or it could be 50 percent capacity i think we can yeah. all live with that right right but um but not having any any uh any when like 50 percent capacity or sometimes even not any any concerts at all it's just heartbreaking especially when you know that a lot of people have managed to stay sane through these these times thanks to the arts yeah you know with the with the streamed concerts with recordings with films with tv with books you know all that entire world has kept so many people sane around the planet and um yeah hard to understand what the well, logic speaking, is behind it speaking of cds you have a cd that is is coming out it was meant to be coming out um a week tomorrow the 12th of december and of course that's been COVID cancelled <laughs> um, because we wanted to, it's a part, it's a big project, a five-year project um, celebrating 75 years of peace since the Second World War and uh, highlighting the flute and piano masterpieces from the period during the Second World War. And we're talking about, I mean, if we the, on the first CD is um, things like Martin Ballad, 1939, Hindemith Sonata, 1936, uh, uh, Boris Blacher Sonata, 1939, 1939 as well, I think. Um, and then going on further into France, Dutier, Chandelinos, Sankar, uh, Martinus Sonata, um, you know, all these great, great flute and piano works stemming from this most hideous time in our history um, and that's always puzzled me and finally i have the opportunity to perform all these works with lit works of um, poems texts excerpts from novels or with from newspapers you know really bringing that time to life again through words 
and then that together with music. And so each of the concerts, uh, we present the flute and piano masterworks with literature from that country, from that time, or reflecting on that time. And then each, um, each year we're making uh, one CD recording. So we were meant to be now doing Prokofiev and Weinberger in concerts and presenting the first CD, which we performed last year with the Martin Hindemith uh, Blacher and also the Karl Fluling fantasy, which is a little bit before that era, it dates from 1929, but it's, his music has been forgotten because he was a Jew in Vienna at the really the wrong time. So I felt it, it, um, it really does have a kind of connection, even if the calendar is 10 years out. <laughs> so that's a, yeah, an exciting project, which we will now be launching in March. Okay. If things <laughs> progress nicely. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, but the good thing is that I just, just had more time to listen to the first edits and to, to put through my wishes. So it's quite nice to not have that part of the process rushed. So, um, yeah. Right. Well, speaking of uh, artists who've creatively come out of a difficult situation, what have you done during COVID that has been different from other years? And, and some positive, fun things maybe that you've <laughs> embarked on now that you have maybe more time? Well, I became a YouTuber at the ripe age of uh, 50. <laughs> I love so, it. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, I've, um, you know, I've learned how to, I've got my, my light um, and, uh, and I've, I've learned how to edit a little bit in a very primitive way, you know, just using basic uh, iMovie and stuff. Um, but I, I was, you know, in the first weeks, I was so aware of so many of my masterclasses, which were cancelled, um, that I thought all these students, you know, I can't, um, we can't meet in person, but maybe if I can just put my thoughts about a particular piece online for them, then um, that will still be there when COVID's gone, hopefully, right. you know? So generous. So um, that was, uh, that was um, uh, quite an undertaking. And I didn't realize I would still be doing it in December, but I am apparently. <laughs> well, and because it's so, so successful, everyone, you know, expects a new one coming out and we all watching, you know, it's, I mean, they're lovely, <laughs> very well received. Oh, it's, I've, I've had such lovely, lovely comments from people back. And I'm just so grateful that, you know, something that which I started off to keep me focused and to keep my sort of morale up and, you know, to give me a, a reason to be practicing and to be thinking and to be producing something creative. I'm just so glad that that's, um, prove to be of value to anyone else you know that's wonderful so uh it's been a it's been a fun journey <laughs> wow and so i also you... go ahead no no i was gonna say i also bought a, a hula hoop but that was far less successful <laughs> that lasted about a week and i'm rubbish <laughs> at hula hooping <laughs> that's too funny where did that inspiration come from <laughs> Actually, well, actually, indirectly through the YouTube channel, because um, um, after the first, the, the trailer went up, I was contacted by Mate Ban in, in Hungary, and he said, hey, uh, 
can we put your video on our channel, the Hungarian Flute Forum? Um, and I've made some Hungarian subtitles. Uh, okay, but um, well, if you send me the subtitles, I can upload them to YouTube. So within no time, the, the channel had an English transcript and the Hungarian subtitles. And then other people started saying, well, do you want, oh, do you want, do you want? And at some point, I think we had 17 languages wow. on the channel. And one of the people was um, a, a, a Reiko Watanabe, a friend in Japan, who's done a lot of translating for me. She used to do my Japanese part of my website, um, but I don't have that anymore. But um, she's done a lot of translating and masterclasses. And she, um, uh, she, we were exchanging emails about the, the Japanese translation for the YouTube films. And she told me that she was, you, uh, she was using this hula hoop. And I thought, ah. well, I actually, I am moving a lot less than I was pre-COVID and I'm eating a lot more and this is going to end in tears, you know? So, um, so I started, uh, I, I ordered a, a, hula, a hula hoop online and um, I got very bruised. You know, one of those weighted hula hoops. Ah. What was I thinking? <laughs> That's hilarious. I'd happily post it to someone if someone wants a hula hoop. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, yeah. Well, Segwaying on from your master classes to your teaching, you have your own flute academy, uh, which is very impressive. I do. And tell us about that, how it started. I mean, tell us. Well, the Netherlands Flute Academy started in 2009. Uh, two years before that, I had uh, quit my teaching position in the Royal Conservatory in The Hague. And I had quite by chance come across um, a, a businesswoman and uh, amateur flute player, Suzanne Wolf, And she contacted me and said, I'd love to do something for young Dutch flute players. And um, let's go drink coffee and talk. And I had no idea what she, she meant. Um, so I went to, to this meeting with, you know, half a dozen ideas. And the idea that we, hit upon quite quickly was to have a summer course for young Dutch players. And, and I was sort of very excited that I could organize the, the flute summer course that I'd always wanted to go on. And just as we were leaving, I said to her, well, look, you know, if it proves successful, then maybe we can do a similar course for people who have graduated from full-time flute studies and who, you know, maybe haven't walked straight into a job as I was lucky enough to do and, and maybe would just like to have a little boost of their, just have a week of focusing on um, flute playing. And she said, well, why, why are we gonna wait until that, the, the first course is a success? Why do we do them both together? <laughs> Which at first I was like, oh my God, there are, there are still only 24 hours in a day, right? You know, and, um, but she said, you know, she said, well, it could be really inspiring for both groups of people. And it really has. And the, the whole summer course, uh, so much about that they'll learn something in the flute lessons. Um, but it's so much about learning from your peers. And if you're, let's say you're a 17 year old flute player and, um, you're, 
your playing is at this level and you hear a 15 year old playing at this level, you think, oh, so maybe that's possible. So it does that. And then you hear someone who's already at conservatory and is maybe at this level, you know, and at the same time, the older students, they get to interact with the, the, the younger students. So there are two groups of players. And um, so they're quite spontaneously, uh, there's a lot of um, sort of informal coaching that goes on. Mm. And um, it's, so it's, it's a really intensive course. Um, it's not a course you come to so that you can catch up on your flute practice. That you do before you come and when you get home. But in that week, we start up every morning with both groups together doing firstly a physical warm up and then a flute warm up. And then the morning is all about individual lessons. Um, and then the afternoon I give the young ones a masterclass and then the older students a masterclass. And while the other is having a masterclass, then there are ensembles and there are technical clinics. And um, then we all get together and play flute ensembles, small flute ensembles with the group and flute orchestra, everyone together. And, and then in the evening we do a workshop on a sort of related topic, but that um, so maybe performance practice, uh, performance um, presence, stage presence, or about rhythm, or about um, the flute through the ages, or about contemporary. Robert Dick has come and given a, a wonderful uh, workshop to a sort of lecture recital, playing his pieces and um, and uh, baroque flute, or all kinds of things. Schubert. And so, you know, it's really specialist um, subjects, which I don't know very often very much about. Um, and so then we have guest workshop leaders coming in and giving those sessions. So, and then at the end, we all play in the Concertgebouw concert together, solos and uh, small ensembles and big ensembles. And we usually have a, a, a great soloist that we invite to come and join us. So it's a really full on week, but it's a week that People who've done the course, I think, aren't uh, likely to forget very <laughs> quickly. So it's so just, it's, yeah, it's just one week out of the whole year. It's just one week. That's ah. the, and then, yeah, and then we have, well, we, we sort of we're under, underwent a kind of um, transformation a couple of years ago because um, at a certain point there were so many courses that we were doing. There were four courses a year for the uh, juniors. Um, we had another class for nine to 11 year olds, nine to 12 year olds, sorry. Um, and we had the summer academy and we had an ensemble that gave six concerts a year. Mm. And we had a program, we had a program for parents at one point and for teachers. And so we kind of um, streamlined the, the operation, I think is the, the term. So now we've got uh, essentially three three components. We have the Summer Academy, we have a program for teachers, um, and we have uh, the Navelag Ensemble. We play six concerts a year as the ensemble. And then we also have a really, really touching program uh, called Artroot Collective. Um, when flute players go to uh, refugee centers and you have a group of young players sort of between, let's say 19 and 24, 25, who come from all different kind of backgrounds and different countries. Maybe they don't even speak the same language more or less, but they can all play music. And so they get together on day one, there's 
No Program, two wonderful workshop leaders, uh, Maaike van der Linde and Geerte de Koel. Um, and through a gradual process of improvising um, and small workshops, bigger workshops, in, in the space of sometimes three days or five days, they put on a concert. Uh, and it's, you know, not only is the musical result um, astonishing, but it's also a deeply sort of touching, yeah. emotional um, journey that the young musicians go through. Yeah, and real understanding for one another's, um, you know, situation, let's say. Beautiful. So, yeah. Very beautiful. Wow. Okay. Now, so do you do the class in English or in Dutch? How is your Dutch? My Dutch is um, pretty good. Pretty good. Well, I mean, you should ask a Dutch person, really. But it's, a, I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, I think, I think in Dutch sometimes. I dream in Dutch sometimes. So, um, yeah, it's okay, my Dutch. Um, but I, in the summer academy, we. The group, when we have the two different groups, because the older group is um, from all over the world, it's completely international. And so that, the language for that is English and the Dutch class, the language is Dutch, but you know, the Dutch are astonishing. They can all speak such brilliant English that when we have the workshops together, then, the, then we all speak English together. I see. Huh, yeah. okay, because the website is in Dutch, or, or I didn't dig deep enough. There are two, there are two. There's, there's an English language part and a Dutch language part. Okay, okay. Yeah. And because it has a nice presence online, I thought it was something that went on throughout the year. Um, but it seems like, as you said, it was, it's been streamlined. It used to go on more throughout the year. It used to go on throughout the year, but I, I have to say that we do keep in touch with our students through the year, you know, and, and there's, it's such an intense week and it's such there's such a camaraderie that's um is you know developed in that week that that it really does feel like a family and we do keep in touch with people through the the whole year um and and now for the first time we have in the teachers program we have um a participant who took part as a junior ah. and she's now she's now gone through conservatory and she's graduated and now she's joining the teachers program um as a teacher obviously and uh, so, so that's really nice to see the full circle sort of and the teachers program is for teachers to um well you know when you think about it teaching can be quite a lonely um professionally lonely you know occupation that you're that you're with the kids and that's great but in terms of now how do I approach this problem it can be quite lonely for some uh, teachers and so mm -hmm. really offering them a platform where they're encouraged to share their experiences and expertise and um, and to play together to learn from one another um, so the, we, we're starting, we're just recruiting now for the third year, which will start in January. Um, and we're starting, of course, predictably enough in Corona times um, online. So we're calling the Digi DocNet. DocNet stands for Teachers Docente Network, Teachers Network. So it's the Digi DocNet. Um, and that starts in January and that runs through the whole year until September. 
Wow. But of course, in the summer, we're hoping that we'll be able to do some live days and then we'll be able to have, spend the whole day and uh, working and playing together um, and, you know, doing various ensembles. And then we break out and have various different discussions and come back and uh, share what we've learned and that sort of thing. So with the teachers then, are, are you in on the classes? Is it a sharing or are you holding like a master class? And is there a fee? How much is the, you know, how does it work? Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's, it's a really, yeah. Well, um, I think it is quite, quite innovative actually. Um, and it's every, every, the, 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 the first course, we started off with um, a weekend and the, the three, uh, NAFLAC teachers, uh, Jeroen Bron, Vika Karsten and myself, we put together a weekend program and that involved, you know, certain, um, certain discussions about what, what is your motivation as a teacher? What, um, how are you perceived in your town, village, uh, music school, whatever it happens to be, those kind of questions which apply to everyone. And then we had other moments when we broke down into smaller groups and I would talk about Baroque music and Vika would talk about memorizing and Jeroen would talk about how to uh, conduct a flute ensemble or something like that. You know, we would have, we would split up into the three groups. Um, and then as the um, courses go uh, further through the year, the participants, then are invited to contribute. What would you like to have a workshop on? And if we have the knowledge, so someone might say something like, I would really like, like to know how to teach vibrato. And then we will plan in a, a session in the next uh, day that we're all working together, plan a session to discuss vibrato. And I might, you know, talk for 20 minutes or something. Um, and then we would open the discussion up and then I would sort of steer the discussion and we might have another moment when, I mean, it, you know, um, when, for example, when Corona struck and we were all struggling with online teaching for the first time for many of us, um, there was someone who said, oh, I know all about Zoom. Let's, uh, let's do a, a session, um, how to, how to work with Zoom. And so we planned that and, uh, so it's it's really sharing, sharing, um, sharing your vulnerability and your question marks in your own professional life, um, and seeing if the answers might there might be there in the rest of the group, and in that way being very so it's it, there's a lot of trust within the group, there's a lot of um, yeah caring for one another and and um, helping one another. Uh, encouraging one another, motivate, helping motivate, or, you know, just, uh, and it's, it's been beautiful to see how the course has, um, how people have sort of flourished in, in just having that opportunity to come together and share their ideas, even if what they learn on that day is something like, oh, so I am on the right track. Great. Okay. That gives you, then, then you, then you are standing in a different sort of uh, position in life in, if you like and in your teaching practice then if you sort of think well am I doing this right am I, I, I don't know if I'm doing this right you know and then you have a discussion about it oh you do the same oh you do the same as well okay so then we can't all be wrong or something yeah. like that you know so it's a it's a, about sharing and 
and being being generous enough to share your your knowledge and vulnerable enough to say that you don't know everything and that actually you've got a question mark about this topic or the other so but wow. it's 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 completely for the um um the participants actually to to determine which topics we cover um so it's up to them how did this come about because I, I like i said i've never heard of this and it's such a brilliant idea well i think it's um it came about initially when we when we celebrated our fifth anniversary we put on a huge concert in utrecht um where we had 600 flute players and there were 70 flute players on the stage who'd all participated in various uh, NAFLAC courses. And that was um, supported by hugely generous colleagues from all around the Netherlands who came and played alto flutes and bass flutes. And we had seven contrabass flutes and we had a group of mini um, bassoons and mini basses, you know, kids learning these um, traditionally big instruments. And then behind us, in the, you can see some of the films on, on YouTube, actually, there are this, there's this sea of a flute orchestra from, I think, 6 to 86 or 76 or something like that. Um, and, you know, more than 100, uh, more than 500 players. And very often a teacher would sign up with their class of 20. And that was a hugely... Um, valuable teaching um, points, if you like, for their lessons. So they could prepare these three pieces for us. Will Offerman's wrote us a new piece, for example. Um, so we played three, three works all together with the 600 flutes. Um, and so the teachers were all very enthusiastic that they could keep their students motivated to work towards this concert. But then afterwards, we started getting feedback from well, I knew it was going to be great for my students, but it was so wonderful to share this experience with other teachers. And I haven't seen so-and-so for ages and we had a great chat. And, and so then we started organizing, you know, one day sort of workshops and play a combination of playing and, and, and workshopping um, various aspects of teaching. And those proved very popular. And then we thought, oh, well, maybe if we, um, actually by expanding that course we're actually reaching far more young students than we were in our courses which were solely aimed at the young players so if we if we contact the teachers all that sort of uh, inspiration if you like sort of trickles down to far more young players so that was that was how it all started really but all our activities in the Netherlands Flute Academy have always started from out something from from a point of participants saying hey can we just do can we what about if we don't just meet once a year but we meet twice a year so that's how we started doing a winter academy and then and then it seemed to be too long between the winter academy and the summer so hey why don't we do a spring academy and um and then oh it seems very long time between the summer course and the winter course can't we do an autumn course you know so that turned into the turbo academy and before you know it um you know we were up to here with courses we just um it was a kind of um it was it was uh, almost unmanageable how how much we were we were doing so that's when we sort of streamlined 
Um, so now we have the, the, the summer course and the teachers, the ensemble and the Art Route Collective. And is the ensemble still at 600? That's amazing. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> no, that's, that's, um, that's a group of 10 players that have done the Summer Academy and um, they get together for two projects a year. They do three concerts in the autumn and three concerts in the summer. And it's a group of about 10 players. Um, and it always varies slightly, um, very slightly who's in the ensemble according to availability, of course. And, um, but we do, hey Marlene, <laughs> we do, um, yeah, we do various uh, original flute pieces, but also various arrangements. And, and sometimes there's a soloist from the ensemble and we do all kind of, um, yeah, pieces where people get to play maybe alto flute for the first time, bass flute for the first time. Mm. We have a wonderful contrabass player at the moment, but they all sort of move around and uh, yeah, it's a terrific learning experience for them. Um, and it's great to introduce audiences, you know, to, to the uh, wealth of repertoire that there is for a flute ensemble. Yes, yes. Because so, somehow people can't imagine um, what is a flute ensemble? What do you mean a flute orchestra, you know? Yeah. So then we, earlier this year, we launched our, um, our flutes album. Oh, ah. So we recorded that um, just after New Year in January. And it was one of the last concerts I did actually before the uh, lockdown. Um, so that's, so if you want to know how a flute ensemble and orchestra sounds, now we can say, we've got an album. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And did you record that together or sending in or how did it work? Yeah. Before COVID? Yeah. That, before COVID. It was in, um, it was, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was the third, fourth and fifth of January this year, or maybe second, third and fourth of January. Yeah. And, um, and we had, um, we had the, the small ensemble of, um, I think we were 12 or 14 players. And then again, we invited local teachers to bring their students to take part in a few of the big, big pieces like the Ville Offenmann's piece, which he wrote uh, for our fifth anniversary. So we recorded that. Um, and the, the idea of um, his piece is that it's available, um, you know, it's, it's accessible to players of all levels. So there are four soloistic parts, which are quite tricky. And then there are ensemble um, parts. But then the, the, the flute, flute folk, they, they're called, are grouped into three different, um, there's a left, right and middle. And there you actually need, you know, need very minimal uh, flute playing skills to be able to participate in, in a great piece. Mm. And so, we, so one day we had these, uh, one afternoon, I think we, we invited these teachers to bring their students. And we were, I think we were about 100 um, who actually took part in that CD. And then, and then we reduced down, there's an ensemble that sprung off um, out of Neflak that Sixth Sense, uh, flute sextet, professionals flute sextet, and they recorded a piece of um, Ian Clark's Within. And what else? We had a, two wonderful soloists. Dominic Seldis came and played the Shardash on the double bass, of all things. 
and a fantastic jazz uh, trumpeter, Eric Floymans, um, who's just won a very big prize over here. Um, he came and joined us with one of his own pieces. So it was really exciting. And yeah, as I say, one of the last, last concerts I did before the COVID uh, lockdown. Wow. Special memories. Well, I'm seeing lots of concerts, lots of... Uh... Yeah, here's a question for you. Uh, this is from Flute Amir. <laughs> uh, let's see, he's getting ready for a recital that he has uh -huh. this coming year. It'll be my final concert, he says, after 10 years of playing because I'm joining the army soon. Do you have any tips? Oh. <laughs> Final recital. Well, play pieces that you love playing. <laughs> um, yes. Do lots of tryouts. So even if it's, you know, in the first instance, the first tryout I would always do is to your own tape recorder. And funnily enough, if I always feel if I leave, I, I switch the tape recorder on and then I leave the room and then I come back in again and my heart starts it's, it feels so strange. I don't know why that works, but um, you know, if I just press the record button, it doesn't have the same power. Yes. Oh, that's great. Silly. That's brilliant. Anyway, but very good idea. First tryout, I would definitely do to a tape recorder. Yes. Second tryout, you know, to your um, to your cat or your stuffed animals or something. Uh, third tryout to your neighbours who are you know don't know one end of the flute to the other. And then it starts getting tricky. Then the, the fourth time, maybe due to your friends, maybe flute players, maybe not. Um, and then get your classmates or, um, you know, flute players who you really respect. And the fifth time, then you play a concert, maybe in concert, the, the, the concert dress that you're going to wear or suit or whatever. Um, so I think tryouts are really important. And I know that I, I didn't do enough early on um, so I, I really regret not having done that more. Um, yeah, I think playing pieces that you really believe in and that you really want to spend time getting to know thoroughly and that you feel have um, a, a musical story that you can share, you know, I think it's always um, important. I always like to have pieces that are somehow connected to each other however tenuous the link is um <laughs> hi <laughs> no but that's so yeah i guess really like some pieces that you really like and playing them performing them many many times before the actual the actual recital yeah. i agree 100 percent with that yeah and yeah we don't practice yeah. that enough practice performing you know mm. here's and another... i even think actually you should you should have part of your practice time, which is sort of performing, practicing performing. Yes. You know, so much of our time in the practice room where, where um, we spend sort of saying, oh, well, that's not good enough. Oh, that's not fast enough. Oh, that's a bit altitude. Oh, I need to do that bar again. Oh, that attack wasn't clean enough. You know, we're so, that's, that's our work in the practice room is polishing and being critical and doing things again and doing them better. And, and I think we have to practice letting all that go just sort of saying, okay, you know what? I'm just going to start at the beginning and stop at the end. And I'm not going to think about what could have gone better. I'm only going to focus on what I'm doing and what's coming up. Um, and so that 
practicing performing i think is something um which is also not really spoken about enough because we need to learn to switch that off right the critical yes. mode here's another and it's question. too late once we're on the stage Here's another question that's somewhat related by joe.nno. Any tips for not getting nervous in masterclass? So just nerves in general. Yeah, nerves in general. Well, you know, I, I, um, nerves, I don't think it's getting rid of nerves that we need to think about. We need to think about how can we embrace nerves? Because I always say that um adrenaline gives us superpowers yes um and and you can you can but you need to learn to channel it and not try and fight it and push it away and you need to find a way of embracing it um adrenaline and nerves we need to feel excited i once read a wonderful article about a string teacher in america and i wish i could remember the name now but this um a famous uh, string pedagogue who said who in the first year of first week sorry of uh, conservatory asked her students to write down some of what you feel when you fall in love so maybe you can't eat and maybe you feel a little bit shaky and your head's a little bit and um, maybe you can't sleep very well and you find it hard to focus and all those kind of things you know um, and then she reminded them of these, the comments that they made one week before their end of year recital. And she said, how many of the things are the same? And actually most of them, you know, the, 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 so I think it's, it's to do with this label of nerves being bad. I don't think nerves are bad. I think we need to um, value them and to learn to embrace them and to, uh, yeah how can i say uh to enjoy them almost we need to feel excited otherwise what's the point in a way so i think we could start by not putting this negative label on nerves you know exactly. I, I think as soon as we say actually in dutch taught me that because in dutch there's a word uh spanning which means excitement and tension and it, you can use it actually in, in both ways, I think. If there are any Dutch people um, watching, maybe they'll tell me. But I think, I think you can use it as a positive thing, that something is spunnant, something is exciting, but it's also sort of tension giving. But the fact that they're interchangeable, I think is a very positive thing. So um, I think if we start saying, you know, reminding ourselves that adrenaline does give us superpowers, I yes. think that that's uh, half the battle. I love that. That's perfect. I, I think that nerves. And I'll share. Oh, oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. No, no, go I ahead. Think... I was curious what you were going to say. <laughs> nerves gives us, the, gives us the focus required to play well. And I always think uh, I like to turn that fear into a power. So I just make sure that I'm yeah. powerful and courageous on the stage. Yeah. So what were you going to say? Queen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I mean, I was going to say, these, these are both sort of things on the, the mental side of things, but um, I, there was a very wonderful trick that Alain Marion taught me um, when I was studying with him in Paris. And he would get us to do 10 squats, holding the flute out in front of us, doing 10 squats, and then play 
the beginning of l'après-midi or whatever. And your heart rate is very similar to what it might be in the concert situation. And so then you get over the fear of the fear because why are we scared? Well, maybe my, I won't be able to control my air. Maybe my lip will shake. Well, if you know that you can do those things in the practice room, then you stop being afraid of the, the, the fear itself. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. So that's more on the physical side. Yes. And uh, my teacher used to tell me to go upstairs. We'd go upstairs or yeah. any kind of physical, even just, you know, yeah. using the arms to get the heartbeat ra racing yeah. and then go launch into yeah. um, afternoon of a yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All of that yeah. helps. Here's another question uh, from De Teres Vida. How do you deal with doubts about becoming a flutist? I'm on my second year of the conservatory and I want to go for the dream. But at the same time, I feel I should consider how hard a career it can be. That's a brilliant question. Really good question. Maybe especially now actually. Um, yeah, as we, as we said at the beginning of this conversation that the arts have suffered so much in this COVID time. Um, and I think we all, we all have to remember that COVID will go away at some point. Um, we've got the vaccine coming and, you know, it's not going to last forever and ever. So hopefully some sort of normality will resume at some point. Um, and I think especially because people have had so much... Um, solace from the arts in general through this time i it wouldn't surprise me at all if the arts got a huge boost after life returns to normality that's my hope um but let's let's <laughs> let's keep covid out of it for the moment um i i've always said i said to myself and i've said i always say whenever whoever asks me advice you know I quite often get asked by 16 year olds, let's say, you know, do you think I should think about going to conservatory? And what, you know, do you think I've got a chance of being a professional flute player? And I always ask, respond by asking a question from, okay, so if you're not a flute player, what would you do? And if they say, well, I was thinking maybe I would, you know, maybe go into medicine or maybe I was uh, you know, be a teacher or, yeah, I could. Well, the other thing that really interests me is, I don't know, interior design. If, if, I, if I smell a little bit of enthusiasm for another profession, I say, do that. <laughs> you know, because if it's like, no, not because I love my job. I, can, I think I've got the best job in the whole world. You know, I, I absolutely adore what I do. Um, but if someone is saying, well, I really like flute playing and I'm really interested in architecture. I think probably, you know, it's, um, I, I can imagine that it's, it's a tough life being an architect as well. But um, um, I think it's, there are so many flute players around that if you, it's, um, if, it, if there's a question mark, then, then, um, Maybe don't do it if it's your passion. And I sense that this is this person's passion. I couldn't, I couldn't have lived with myself if I didn't try. That's the way I sort of sold it to myself. I don't want to, as 
you know, as a 40 or 50 year old sort of look back and think, well, I wonder what it would have been like if I tried to be a flute player. You know, I knew that I had to, I knew that I might fail, but I knew that I had to try. And if you have that, that sort of passion and that um, drive, then, you know, I, th I really do believe that, that, um, that we will get through this COVID time and things will get better. And um, I, I think lots of um, people appreciate what is happening in the cultural world and how devastating everything is at the moment. So try not to get dragged down by that and try to hang on to your passion. But at the same time, think, well, if, it, if you're passionate about other things, then yeah, try other things too, maybe. Um, and I think this is a time when a lot of students have, um, you know, taken a year out or have sort of delayed the decision of going to conservatory and things. So I, I appreciate it. it's a really, really difficult time. But the advice I'm giving about, you know, if, if you're, mm, well, one day I think I might be an architect and the next day I think I might be a musician or the next day I think I might be a lawyer, then if it's that kind of feeling, then maybe do the other thing. But if you're absolutely, you want to give it a go, then just go for it and just really work hard and um, keep your ears wide open and learn from everywhere and everyone and uh yeah keep your passion alive <laughs> and practice <laughs> and practice <laughs> yeah true, true. yes um so i hope that was a sort of answer yes no that was a great answer and a, a very important question for i think a lot of mm. students uh, we all went through this right i for me, I started pre-med actually. And when I won an audition to play in the Houston Grand Opera, that's when I thought, oh, well maybe um, I should major in music. <laughs> and, then, and then I told my father, okay, I'm gonna try music until I'm 30. And if I fail, I'll stop. But if, I, if I'm doing well, I'll keep going. So that's what I yeah. did for myself, yeah. you know. Yeah. But I think we all, the important thing to know, uh, to, to realize is that we all have these thoughts of, whether or not we should do this or that. And it's important to feel um, the power within ourselves again. Ultimately, that's what I'm always promoting, you know, finding the power yeah. within ourselves and the strength to bring it forth. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, uh, I, I, I love that, that last uh, question. Yes, and she says, yeah. thank you for the answer. <laughs> so I think, <laughs> let's see, we had, Jerson was asking how concerts were in the Concerto about what we covered that already at the beginning of this uh, interview, Jerson. And then here's another question. If you like, bring me in live to play some Iranian songs for you. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Well, I think maybe in another in another time I will do that. Thank you for suggestion. That sounds lovely. <laughs> well, Emily, oh curious what the Iranian flute is. Is oh. it is another instrument or? Well, there is the I mean, nay, N E Y, okay. which you you play. The mouthpiece goes in into the between the two teeth here, and the vibrato wow. is done with the lips. 
Ooh. like that. And it goes down like this. And there's the Turkish ney, which is not between the teeth. It's just like the kaval, like the Bulgarian kaval, which is more like here. Uh, and okay. then the, the ney extends all the way even into Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan as well in various forms. I, I think maybe maybe that person saw that I posted recently a Persian concert that I did. And I don't know, maybe that's why that was brought in. But. So how many flutes do you have, Viviana? Oh, I started collecting them when I started traveling. So I have about a hundred from all over the world. It's just a treasure hunt that I go on. I land in Tahiti and I go, where's the flute of Tahiti? And it turns out that the flute in Tahiti, you play with the nose. <laughs> yes. Not very COVID safe. <laughs> Not right now, no. <laughs> no, and anyway, so I started collecting them. And anyway, that's that's how I started with the, the wow. flutes world yeah yeah Fantastic. but anyway emily so um parting thoughts uh advice for young people uh just give us a few more things of from your in amazing career that you've had and by teaching all these kids that have just look up to you so much what can you give in a nutshell a, a few things advice for young fluists well, this um, after the first uh, Netherlands Flute Academy course, I flew off. I think I was going to Japan and I was writing a, a thank you email to all the participants in the airplane, um, which I was going to send when I when I arrived in Japan. Oh. And I wrote at the bottom, work hard, have fun and share your passion for music. And that sort of has become a kind of um, credo of uh, the Netherlands Flute Academy and something, you know, which I stick by. I do work incredibly hard and I have a lot of fun. And really the essence of all of that is to be able to share it um, with audiences, with other musicians. Um, so, yeah, if I think you can take those three elements, put them together. And that's quite a good philosophy for a happy musician. <laughs> that's beautiful. So work hard, have fun, have fun and share, and share your passion for music. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's lovely. Thank you, Emily, for your time. We all adore Thank you, you Viviana. all over. <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely to see you again. Yes, likewise, likewise. I wish you all the best. I hope to see you. We'll catch up soon again, okay? Yes, indeed. Okay. Bye, Bye Emily. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.